Got a word? Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Father, we just thank you that you speak to our hearts today. Speak to our soul. Lord, encourage us. And I just pray that the word is a blessing to every person that hears it. In person here, online, watching it later. It doesn't matter because the word of God never returns void. So we just thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about Jesus, Gospel of John we're going through. And we're up to chapter 9, church. So I reckon we'll finish the Gospel of John by about 2025. Uh, It's taking us a little while, isn't it? But that's all right. I'm enjoying it. We've been going through the Gospel of John from the start and we're going through to the end. And we're up to chapter 9 and we're talking about Jesus, the sight giver. That's going to be exciting today. Uh, Maybe a little bit more controversy because Jesus sort of did that, didn't he? Stirred up a few hornets' nests and got religious leaders a little bit on edge. And I love it. It's my kind of style, isn't it? Just poke the, poke the bear kind of thing. All right, I've got um, a video that's going to start us off. So if we can get the lights. Uh, and after the video of the, the scripture today, I've got a song. And then we're going to get into the message. So let's take a look. Master, who did sin? This man or his parents said he was born blind. Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent to me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world.
hard to describe what my life used to be To someone who's always been able to see You know I wasn't unhappy or bitter that way But everything's changed since I met him that day I was down by the corner just passing the time Sitting in sunlight and feeling it shine When the sounds of a crowd began to grow in my ear So I waited and I listened as I heard them draw near Then a man stepped up to me and he spat on the ground He put the mud on my eyes and then smeared it around Set me off to Siloam to wash off the clay And I opened my eyes and I looked at the day I just know what happened to me Yesterday I was in darkness But since I met him I can see When the Pharisees heard it They put me on trial even called in my parents and grilled them a while And when at the end I defended the man Who had opened my eyes, all the trouble began I said ever since the beginning of time No one's opened the eyes of someone born blind This man sent from God, it just can't be denied And they cursed me and grabbed me and threw me outside know he was talking to me It was easy to tell by the sound of his voice He was the reason I see And as soon as he spoke to me I couldn't hide The emotion that welled up from deep down inside And combined with the dreams that he'd made to come true To kneel there and worship was all I could do I met him, I can see And I call him my Lord and my Savior For everything he's done for me Yesterday I was in darkness But since I met him Since I met him Since I met him, I can see Since I met him, Messiah. Since I met him, Messiah. Since I met him, I can see. So good. That's um, that's John chapter nine. So we can go home now. Uh, <laughs> Yesterday I was in darkness, but since I met him, I could see. How many people can say that's your story? Yesterday we were in darkness, but when you met Jesus, it's like a light bulb came on, something switched, something flicked, your perspective changed, and you could see. 
You know, when was the last time you noticed the fiery reds and the orange of a sunrise? Who sleeps in too often and doesn't notice the sunrise? What about layers of blue in the sky? Have you ever stopped to actually look at the sky and there's lots of layers of blue? Or, or shades of pink, perhaps, in a flower bed? Or constellations in the night sky? We get a pretty good view out here in Stanthorpe because we haven't got the city lights uh, ruining the view. What about, uh, there's so many, so many things full of colour. Our world is full of colour. Full of colour, yet too often we don't see it. We're in a rush, we're too busy, whatever it is. Well, a, more, a man was born blind in Jesus' day. And most of his life, he was unable to see colours of anything at all. Uh, but when Jesus saw him and gave him his sight, his world changed in more than one way. He met the Messiah and... It stirred up even more controversy because we've been following the pathway of Jesus through John and uh, he's good at stirring up controversy between the Jewish religious leaders and himself. So let's begin looking at John chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 and I'm reading from the New King James if that helps you if you're using um, an electronic version of a Bible that you can change the, uh, the, the um, translation. But John Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It's in the notes as well, and it's also on the screen. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, whose fault is it? Why is he the way he is? There must be someone at fault here. You know, he'd never seen his parents' face nor his own reflection. He'd never seen the beauty of a sunset, the red of a rose, the, the twinkling of stars. He'd never seen any of these things, the greenness of grass. But when Jesus and his disciples met him, the disciples weren't concerned about helping this man. They were more concerned and curious about why he was blind, assuming that his disability was punishment because of someone's sin. It was like their default setting. Wh whose fault is it? Who can we blame? And then along enters the light of the world, which we read about in John chapter 8, the, the, when Jesus declared that he was the light of the world. And he comes into this situation, and he's about to shed some serious light on this predicament. You know, since blind people could support themselves only by begging, because that's what they did back then, uh, they could only beg, they tended to hang out around the temple. And there was a reason for this. It was the best location because lots of people would pass by, uh, particularly um, on days of worship, when they were coming to worship. And on those days, they tended to be particularly charitable because they're going to the house of the Lord to worship and so they're more likely to part with something um, to a beggar when they're going with an attitude of worship. So according to Jewish teachers, a lot of suffering and physical deformities like blindness and deafness were caused by sin. That was their opinion. And... Even a parent's sin could be passed on to a child in the form of suffering and sickness. That's what they believed. Uh, we humans, we persist. We all do this. We persist in wanting to know who to blame. Everything that happens, there must be someone's fault that's caused that. And we spend a lot of time trying to work out who to blame. You know, we discuss the matter endlessly. These days it's on Facebook as Facebook um, keyboard warriors and no one in this church it's all the other people that do that um, however Jesus brushes this question aside when they ask whose fault is it uh, he, he doesn't focus on the past 
nor is he interested in answering theological speculation. He sees the needs of the man and realises that God can do something here. It's as simple as that. He sees a need and he knows that God can do something. So ponder this. Jesus' disciples had probably seen so many blind beggars, the way that they were walking and where they were going, that perhaps they were calloused, you know, hardened. Perhaps they were hardened to that man's situation because they'd seen 50 other like him up to this point. You know, it's easy for us to have the same attitude today toward people who are sick or out of work or homeless. You know, instead of viewing them with, with you know, the curiosity of, well, why are they like that? Perhaps we need to be viewing them as, well, what can my God do about that? It's a big shift in mindset, isn't it? Let's read verse 3 to 5. It says this, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Or in other words, I am God on display. I'm here to show what our great God can do. You see, the disciples were only concerned about the cause of the man's blindness. Jesus was concerned about the purpose for it. Jesus is often on a different wavelength. You've probably noticed as we've read through the Gospel of John together and maybe you've noticed this already before this time. But he's often thinking on a different plane, a different angle, a different perspective. You know, according to Jesus, God allowed the blindness. He didn't deliberately, deliberately, is that right, inflicted it. So Jesus could demonstrate his power in healing him. That's what it was about, that God would be glorified. So Jesus wasn't in a grandstander, though. He wasn't like, right, rolling his sleeves up and ready for God's wonders and attracting the crowd. But he liked to put God's power on display. That's why Jesus came, to show us the power of God. There wasn't a lot of time to do that. Jesus only had a small amount of time to show the power of God here on the planet. His time on earth was short, so there was urgency to what he needed to do before he died. And so this was one of those uh, situations. Verse 6 and 7 says, When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Yummy. Kids would love that, right? (laughs) And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said, don't go home and do that, kids, by the way. Clay in the eyes, not a good idea. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Wow. Caused a bit of a disturbance, didn't it? (laughs) When he opened his eyes, firstly he saw himself and he's like, gee, do I look like that? Far out. (laughs) And then he looks up and there's all these faces that he doesn't know who they are. And they're all looking at him because they want to see what's going to happen. So real, um, sorry, bad dad joke. Uh, real eye opener. So, <laughs> bit sly. Was like, Ching, there it is. And the, no drama today. We'd have the bdumch. So, uh, often Jesus used unconventional means, probably just to get people talking. I don't know. <laughs> but he produced supernatural results. You know, if a doctor today, imagine this. 
like today now, tried to restore sight with mud pies made with his saliva. He'd be laughed out of medicine, wouldn't he? He'd be laughed at. He'd be the laughing stock. Imagine the uh, videos and the, and the YouTube and the, the censoring and the, <laughs> and the finger pointing and the, you know. He'd probably be sued for malpractice. But Jesus got away with it. You see, in ancient days, people thought spit actually had the power to heal. Uh, since it was linked to, like, magical arts, the Jewish were a bit standoffish on it. Because it's like, oh, that's a bit spooky. So we don't want to touch that. Uh, so they were suspicious of it. But if this man knew what Jesus used to make the mud he put on his eyes, he would have been disgusted and uncomfortable. He didn't see. He didn't know what Jesus did. He just felt this clay come on his face. The blind man must have been quite a sight. Can you imagine? I think that was quite polite, what was on the video. I, I picture like, like just everywhere. Uh, walking across town with mud pies in his eyes. People would have been pointing and jeering and you can imagine it. It was quite tame on the video. He probably felt foolish because he already felt disadvantaged because he was blind. He doesn't, remember, he doesn't know who Jesus is. So it wasn't polite like, oh, here's someone and oh, they put, yes, I'll go and have a bath. And it's not like that. He would have been like so confused, so unsure, and he definitely would have felt foolish. People would have been staring at him. I reckon he could have felt their stares even though he couldn't see. He could feel their stares. You know what it's like when you're in a room and everyone turns to you. It's like daggers. You can feel that. Oh, everyone's looking at me. You know. Maybe he debated with himself about whether washing away the mud would even work. As he's walking, this is all going through his mind. Am I being so silly here? Like, what am I doing? But nevertheless, he goes to the pool. And that took a lot of faith. Not just a little bit of, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Sure, no worries, mate. No, it would have taken a lot of faith. All that pressure from the staring, the jeering. Who knows, people might have even been throwing stuff at him because he was a beggar and he, and he was probably classed as filth. And he's gone through all of that and that would have taken a lot of faith. But you know what? It also gave him his sight when he saw it through. You know, this blind man didn't know who Jesus was. He had no idea. Nor did he have any assurance that what Jesus asked would restore his sight. There's no guarantees. There was always the possibility that he'd make a fool of himself as he's walking. You know, if you'd been this blind man, I want to ask you, would you have let someone you don't know, Jesus, but you don't know it's Jesus, you don't know who it is, but would you have let Jesus put mud on your eyes and then obeyed his command to go and walk to the pool and bathe? It's a good question to ask yourself, isn't it? It's easy to say, oh, yes, I'll do that. It was the Lord. But you don't know it's the Lord. It's just some random guy that's spat in the mud and goes, here, go have a bath. It's a big ask. Apply it this way. Even though it may seem hard to believe um, Jesus' miracles and what, the way he did them, they were easy for him to perform. Because Jesus, duh. You know, after all, he invented the laws of nature. We serve a powerful God. Do you believe it? Yes. We serve a powerful God. So don't be afraid to ask him for help, no matter how big your problem seems. Because if he can take a bit of mud and spit and make someone see who's never seen in his life before, can't our God do anything? You know, he conquered sin and death. What greater thing is that? He can do it. Don't be afraid to ask him. Let's keep going. Verses 
8 to 12 says this. Therefore, the neighbours and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I couldn't see before. How's he going to know? So now this event is the talk of the town because another miracle has taken place. This healing actually caused a lot of talk. Some people wondered if the man who could see was the same one who was blind. So they tried to debate it that way, that it's a different person. Some said he was, some said he was that person, some said he wasn't. Others thought he was a look-alike. Maybe they did a trade-off or something. He cleared up the confusion by insisting he was that man. I am he. So then people wanted to know, well, how could you see? What happened? And he told them the story but couldn't tell them who the healer was. He knew it was Jesus, but he knew nothing about Jesus. He didn't have a conversation with him. He didn't know. Let's keep going. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath. Ah, of course it's a Sabbath. Jesus loves doing these kind of things on the Sabbath. When Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. <laughs> Do you need me to tell you again? <laughs> He's repeating himself. Jesus is good at this too, isn't he, when he's talking to the religious leaders? They don't want to hear it. But it was customary to involve the Pharisees when something odd like this happened because they like to investigate. They like to explain and extrapolate and ruminate and cogitate and do all those eights uh, to try and fit it into their belief system to make it work. But obviously they can't. The fact that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath made this one worth looking into. There's another Sabbath healing. You know, so a group of people took the former blind man to these Pharisees now for another drilling, I mean inspection. Uh, and once more, the man had to tell his story again. So let's continue. He says, therefore, uh, this is 16 and 17, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. A bit like... The last few chapters, isn't it? Stuff that Jesus does was causing division because some people believed, some didn't, some just didn't understand at all. It was chaos. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes and he said, well, he's a prophet. That's the only word that the blind man could think of. See, here's the thing. The blind man sees but the seeing men don't. The blind man saw Jesus and knew who he was, acknowledged who he was because he healed him. But the people that can see don't see. They are blind. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, evidence was irrelevant. They didn't care about evidence. All they cared about was Torah, their law. And does this fit into our law somehow? They had already made up their minds about Jesus. They weren't about to let facts change their opinions. You ever Facebook 
warrior, keyboard warrior, someone that, you know, even with the facts, it doesn't change how they think. Don't even do it. Don't debate on Facebook. It's a silly place to debate. Instead of having the spiritual sight you'd expect from religious leaders, because you would expect them to have some sort of spiritual insight into this situation, uh, they were the ones who were blind. They refused to accept and see Jesus for who he truly was. And when Jesus gave the blind man sight on the Sabbath, the religious leaders refused to believe this miracle was provided by God because it happened on their holy day. You know, after discussing the situation and failing to reach a verdict, they asked the former blind man who he thought the healer was. And the only word he knew to respond with was that this man was a prophet. It's all he could think of to say. Verse 18 to 23. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So now they're talking to the parents. It's like a big court case. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. So they obviously didn't see what happened um, with Jesus. Uh, So we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Wowzers. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So in other words, that was a duck shove. It's like, we don't want to say it. We, we're pretty sure we know who this guy was. But if we say it, you're going to excommunicate us. So just go ask our son. <laughs> so when in doubt, go to the parents. But obviously the parents didn't provide the full answer. They, they provided the evidence that this was their son, blind at birth. But beyond that, they didn't want to talk anymore. So because the Pharisees couldn't agree on the situation, they decided to review the case and they get uh, the parents in for a discussion, uh, hoping that they can testify and say, well, he actually wasn't blind. Maybe it was this, an accident that caused this. And then they'd be able to explain it away. But the parents were no help. They confirmed that the man had been born blind and now that he could see. But they couldn't explain the miracle, so they sent the Pharisees back to their son. And declared that the son could speak for himself because he was of age. So in reality, the parents were afraid of the religious leaders who would kick them out of the synagogue. And that meant not just kicking them out of church, but out of the community. Totally. They were excommunicated. So you can understand their trepidation and being careful about what they're saying. So being put out of the synagogue is equal to excommunication. The whole family would be excluded from the community, not just religiously, but socially as well. They'd be shunned. No one would want to hang out with them. So depending on the crime, this punishment could be temporary or long-term. I would suggest in this case it would have been long-term if they had said what they wanted them to say. Uh, And sometimes it was also accompanied by beatings. So, awesome. (laughs) Excited. No, no one wants that. All right. Verse 24 and 25 says this. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, "'Give God the glory.'" We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Wow. 
the Pharisees have called the former blind man for some cross-examination, basically just to ask him the same question again. But they commanded him to admit the truth and tell them this healer was a sinner. The man hadn't gone to Bible school. He wasn't that way inclined. He probably was not of great intellect. That's an assumption because he was a blind beggar his whole life. But he had an experience that no one could deny and he repeated it again. I was blind, but now I see and that's all I know. He couldn't comment on Jesus. He didn't know his background, his history. They're trying to get him to condemn him. But he declares, I don't know much about that, but what I do know is this. I was once blind, but now I see. One more time, they keep asking. Let's watch this. Watch this. You'll like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me.
Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. In John chapter 9, Jesus is the sight giver. He comes across a man who's been blind his whole life. And we're talking physically blind. But you know what? All of us are blind until we meet him. All of us are blind until we know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Why? Because he came to make us free from our sin from our past, all the things we've ever done wrong, all the bad choices we've made, that wrong path that we were walking on. And many of us in this room can testify, we once were lost, we once were blind, but now we see. And the thing that happens in between is Jesus. And so I want to invite anyone who's in this room today, anyone who's online at home, to consider opening up your eyes, accepting Jesus, as your personal Lord and Saviour. I want to give that opportunity. We do it at every meeting at Vineyard Christian Church. So would you just bow your heads if you're in the room here. If you're at home, don't tune out now. This moment is for you. God's speaking to people in this moment. In the same way that he restored sight to the blind man as he washed in the pool, he wants to help us to see. To see the world in a godly way. In a way where we can surrender our heart completely to him be led by him, guided by him, have that weight lifted from our shoulders, that responsibility of all the things we've ever done, that forgiveness can come the instant you invite Jesus into your heart. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Believe that he's been raised from the dead, conquering sin and death and paying the price for our wrongdoing so that we could be free and have that fullness of life and the life yet to come. So if you're in this place and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, now is your moment. You have the opportunity, and all you've got to do is lift up your hand, and we're going to pray as a church together. But I want to know who I'm including in the prayer as as I pray with you today. So if that's you, why don't you just lift up your hand in this moment and just say, yes, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. It can be for the first time. It can be, uh, again, a recommitment. It doesn't matter. What matters now is your heart alignment with Christ. So if that's you, just lift up your hand. If you're at home in your living room, I can't see your hand, but God sees your heart. So just lift your heart, lift your hand in this moment and God will make you free also. We're going to pray together. Yep, I see that hand over there. That's great. We're going to pray together. And uh, the, pr- the prayer is not magical. It's, it's not the words. What it is, it's the heart intent behind what you're about to say. And so if you truly mean these words... With your heart, I've got the scripture on the screen, but when you confess with your mouth, Romans 10 verse 9, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what we're going to do in this prayer in this moment. So let's pray together. Say it after me. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you died for us and that you rose again victorious, conquering sin and death. So I now confess with my mouth You are my Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. So I am saved, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, and I am chosen. 
And so I choose to live for you all the days of my life from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we praise God and thank Him for people that have responded and made a decision for Jesus today? God is good. Amen. We said it at the start. We'll say it at the end. We'll say it for all eternity. He is good. He is faithful. And He restores sight to the blind. I'm looking forward to finishing John chapter 9 next time I get the chance to speak and uh, continuing through our Gospel of John. We're going to have fellowship now. So there's coffee available. Uh, If you haven't put your order in, be quick today because we're closing up a little earlier because, again, Clifton guys, we've got to feed you, water you and do all of that. Ian. Oh, there's cake today. So what we need to do before we exit the building is we need to sing happy birthday to Ross because it was a while ago, but he's been unwell and different. But you're good now, right? Have fit as a fiddle. Turn 60. 28. Sorry to insult you. Sorry to insult you and say 60. Um, it's also my daughter's birthday. I don't know where she is. She's out there hiding. So we'll just, that's all right. Say happy birthday to Melody as well later on. We're going to sing to Ross. We, Ross, we, you get an exemption for, we have, we have, you know how everything's mandatory now? So we have mandatory, if it's your birthday, stand on your chair. But if you're older than 28, <laughs> you don't have to stand on your chair when we sing happy birthday. Let's sing happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ross. And there's Melody. On the chair. Birthday to you. Hip hip. Hip hip. Hip hip. Who thinks Melody should hop on a chair quickly? On a chair. On a chair. On a. She has a dress, but it's all right. Happy birthday, Melody.